0: What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Thank you Jason, appreciate your help very, very much Dave Snyder, I'll put this up here to make sure I don't forget I got a text from Dave and Bonnie this morning the text says... Good morning. Me and Bonnie got to my sister's house. We had a good trip. Let everyone know you are all in our prayers. And I guarantee he means that. I'd like for us to encourage each other to pray for Dave and Bonnie. Um, Don't assume that the roads are safe. This past week, some people died in a submarine the odds are much greater of you dying on the road much greater let's pray for them now father thank you for dave and bonnie thank you for their faithfulness father i pray that you will protect them while they're in ohio thank you that um, you're in ohio thank you that you're in russia thank you that you're everywhere where your people are and you're even where people are not thank you that you're at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know if those people who died were saved or not, but if they called on you from the bottom of the ocean, they are now. I pray that you will draw us closer to you as we study Proverbs today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 21, we're in verse 28. Proverbs 21, we're in verse 28. We did the first part last week it's very simple a false witness shall perish we talked about how that a false witness will perish in hell if for no other reason than than that part every sin does get paid for but also a false witness will perish he won't be a witness anymore because people won't listen to what he has to say the rest of the verse though is very very difficult so I'm going to encourage you to pay close attention in all likelihood, you will disagree with me. You will not see what I see. Uh, I very well could be wrong on this one. If you see something different, please don't show me after, after church. I'd like to hear what you, have, what you see in it. A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. A false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaketh constantly. Immediately, something jumps out. How does he hear if he's constantly speaking? Is that not opposite ends of the spectrum? How does he hear if he's constantly speaking? Is it good advice for the man that heareth to speak constantly? In this case, the Hebrew doesn't help. I tried my best to get the Hebrew to. To give me it gives me no hint whatsoever, but Hebrew literally means man speak constantly. Mean man here speak constantly, what it says in the Hebrew. This will be confusing, so we'll take it slow. The first part of every proverb guides us to the second part. This is important to remember. The first part always guides us into the second part. A liar fails in his speaking, is what that first part clearly says. A false witness shall perish, whether it's in hell, whether it's in hell, or whether it's some kind of problem here on earth. A, a liar is not going to succeed long term. That gives us a hint on the second part. The man that heareth is the op- the opposing person. The man that heareth succeeds in his speaking. A liar fails in his speaking. Therefore, the man that heareth succeeds in his speaking. Now, let's look at it. The man that heareth speaketh constantly. What is the difference? People are listening to the second one. People are not listening to the first one. So the man that heareth is successful in his speaking. Now, does anyone not see where we're at at least? Again, I could be wrong on this whole one, but we've got to do the best that we can What does the man that heareth hear? That's the question. What does the man that heareth hear that the false witness does not hear? Because that is the difference between the two. You got two men. You got one trying to speak, one successfully speaking, but the second one hears something. What is it that the second man hears that the false witness does not hear? What I came up with, what I came up with is the opposite of the false witness. The false witness, uh, uh, slow down, the false witness oftentimes is simply repeating what he's heard. Okay, in fact, usually when we talk, we repeat something that we've heard, whether we heard it in church, we heard it on the radio, we heard it in school, we heard it from our um family, whatever, typically what we speak, we've heard it somewhere. The false witness very often is speaking false information that maybe he, in fact, heard. I'm going to assume he knows it's false, but we're going to go with the fact that he has heard wrong information. So what is the, the man that heareth, the one that speaketh constantly, that speaketh successfully, what does he hear? What's the opposite of falsehood? Truth. Truth again you may not see that but it's in your Bible and I think that if it's in our Bible it's a challenge from God to us to study it we may or may not understand it but we should at least try if it's in your Bible you should at least try to understand it if we shouldn't try to understand it or let me rephrase that if it's not understandable then why did God put it in if it's not understandable then why did God put it in I believe that the false witness speaks, he fails in his speaking, the man that heareth the truth, he succeeds in his speaking. Liars will eventually be stopped. Easy. Those who speak the truth will be asked to say more. Those who speak the truth will be asked to say more. That's what I get out of this. Is there a Bible example of this is there a bible example of this i think that there is and i think that ray read it just a few minutes ago acts 10 was the last verse that ray read and they said cornelius the centurion a just man and one that feareth god and a good report among all the nation of the jews was warned from god by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. And to hear words of thee. Why would they want to hear what Peter says? Because Peter is speaking the truth. Makes sense to me. But at the same time, Peter. Peter's problematic. Because Peter has been on both sides of this proverb. Imagine if the angel... Said to Cornelius, Go speak to Peter. And Peter knew, I mean, that Cornelius knew what Peter said before the crucifixion. Let's suppose that Cornelius was told by God, Go hear Peter, hear words of him. Cornelius knows what Peter said before the crucifixion. Cornelius says, Are you sure? Because um, he said a couple things that. They're not exactly right. He denied Jesus, did he not? Did he not swear? When he denied Jesus? You sure you want me to hear words of him? There's two possibilities. Either Cornelius didn't know about that, and I don't think that's the case. I think that word about that got around. I got a feeling that one of the twelve disciples turning on Jesus as well as the disciple who turned him in. I think those two disciples were very well known with all the talk that's going on around Jerusalem. So I think that Cornelius probably knew what Peter said. However, I think that Cornelius knew of the change in Peter. Cornelius noticed that what he is saying is so different. He's speaking truth. He's speaking words that... You would not expect Peter to speak. Peter was very, very different after Acts chapter 2. They all were. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit indwelt them, starting at Acts chapter 2 as he does us. Peter's speech, the things he said before Acts chapter number 2, very shallow, very uh, prideful, um, foolish would be a good way to describe a lot of the things that he said. I believe in my heart that at one point God spoke from heaven and told Peter to shut up. I've preached that. But since Acts chapter number 2, what he has been speaking has been very, very important. And I think that that goes back to Proverbs twenty-one twenty-eight: A false witness shall perish, and I think for a while there, Peter's reputation did. But the man that heareth, Maybe heareth from God. When you read your Bible, you hear from God. Speaketh constantly. People wanted to hear words from Peter. People wanted to hear words from Paul. People wanted to hear words from Jesus. Did anyone ask Judas to speak? Never. Never. That's what I get out of this proverb. If you see something different, please tell me after church. Verse 29. A wicked man hardeneth his face. A wicked man hardeneth his face. He wants what he wants, and no one is going to get into his way. An example of this, I want what I want. That's what makes me wicked. Okay, Wicked is not seeking Jesus. I want what I want. What I want is to walk straight down this aisle, and I don't care who gets in my way. If I do what I want, if I harden my face for that door, and not care what anybody else thinks, I'm going to hurt Tracy. Just all there is to it. Wickedness, again, we've said this so many times, wickedness, we see it as as very, very evil. I don't think it's crazy evil at all. I think it's simply not seeking Jesus. I think that is clearly the dividing line, and Christians can do it just as much as a non-Christian can do it. But as for the upright, as for the upright, he directed. His way. The upright wants to know what God wants him to do. He wants what Jesus wants. He's the opposite of wicked. He wants what Jesus wants. And he's ready to adjust what he does as Jesus leads him. He's ready to adjust what he does as Jesus leads him, even if it's the other way from what he wants. Let's suppose I want to walk down this aisle. And Scripture makes it clear I'm supposed to respect women. I'm supposed to respect fellow church members. And let's suppose that the two-foot gap that's there is not there and Tracy's not able to move. But I want that. If I'm upright, I'm going to be willing to consider Something, even if it's in a different direction. What if, what if God doesn't want me to go to that door at all? What if God wants me to go through that door? So often, we want what we want, and nothing's going to get in our way. Nothing. And Christians can do it just as much as a non Christian can. We must be willing to direct our way, change our way to what God wants us to do. That being said, we must take time to find out what God wants us to do. The upright knows he doesn't have enough information to know which way he wants to go. Let's suppose that I want that door, and in that door, um, what could be in that door? A spider. I don't like spiders. You know who kills spiders in my house? My wife does. She does you don't care about spiders. I don't, I don't like spiders at all. But let's suppose there's a big spider in there. Okay? What if God says, don't go there. I'm not going to tell you why, but I don't want you to go that way. And I'm going to put Tracy in your way to stop you. I could get all angry at God. I could say, why in the world am I not allowed to go i got to go through this little door. I can't go through the big door. This door do not even have bathrooms. you got to go in the back to get to the bathroom. That door has nice bathrooms. Why, why in the world would God, why would God not want me to be in that nice room? An upright man considers the possibility he doesn't have enough information to know what he should do. He doesn't even have enough information to know what he should want to do. After all these years, Michelle and I still follow GPS to and from Arcadia. We've been coming here for 14 years. Every trip, here and back, GPS is on. Why? Do we not know the way? I can tell you 18 ways to get here. But why do we follow GPS? I want to know if there's accidents. I want to know if there's cops. I wonder if there's construction. I use GPS in my work every single day. There's two major highways that cut through the middle of my district. And if I get on them and find out they're locked up, I might spend two hours stuck there. On the other hand, if I just stay off of them, I'm going to spend a lot of time every single day just avoiding the highway. How can I know if there's an accident? GPS. I use my GPS everywhere I go. It gives me information that I don't know that I need because I don't have enough information to know what I should want. 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel. That's three types of information. Three types of we could go into the definitions, but let's just take it any type of information. There's no information against the Lord. I love this verse. Any information or advice that contradicts scripture is wrong. I love that. That is so cool to me. Any information that contradicts scripture is wrong. What does this say about evolution? <laughs> it is wrong. Yep. <clears throat> it is wrong. Okay? We don't have to study evolution. We don't have to try to make it fit. A lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians try to make Genesis and evolution work together and they will not. It can't. You just can't. The math won't work. And it's more than just how long the day is. Or I can say the Bible says this is what happened so I don't care what you say. How would this help our children? Get them ready ahead of time because they're going to be taught it. Yeah, They're going to be taught it. Get them ready ahead of time. Get them ready to answer the question. <clears throat> or just ignore it and let them think that the teacher knows more than mom does by the way they already think that yeah let them think that the teacher know more than dad does they already think that yeah when they get to college they're going to realize mom and dad don't know anything at all right then when they get older they're going to find out the college didn't know anything at all what's the one thing that will guide us through each of those age groups scripture yeah scripture The next one, someone actually put their money where their mouth was. What does it say about a flat Earth? We know the Earth is round. But one of the primary reasons that NASA wanted to get in the atmosphere was to find out for sure if it's round or not. They want to be able to see it. Think about this. Columbus he was someone who lived on the sea he owned ships he said there has to be a way to get where I'm going and not fall off the end of the earth there has to be he found a verse in the bible that says God sits enthroned upon the circle of the earth you know what he did he trusted it he set out to sail he had a very difficult time getting anyone to finance it for him. Yep. They finally did, and so he sailed west instead of east. Guess what he found? Well, you're sitting on it, America. Except not America. Where did he want to go? Where did he want to go? China. He wanted to go to China. He figured out if the earth is round and not flat, I can go this way and maybe get there faster and find out a whole other continent is there. What guided Columbus? God sits enthroned upon the circle of the earth. That's the thing that made Columbus believe the earth was not flat. You say, well, that's that's, that's ridiculous. Everybody knows that. When Columbus set sail out, Everyone thought they were seeing him for the last time. Everyone. Especially the Christians. Especially the Christians. Oh, he's dead. You go off the edge of the Why? Because they didn't know their Bible. Just, it's as simple as that. Combined with the last verse, verse 29. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Combined with a wicked man hardeneth his face. Combined with the last verse, God knows exactly what our next step should be. Does he not? Does God know what our next step should be? According to verse 30, he knows everything. There's no counsel against the Lord, so God must know what my next step should be. And he is eager to lead us. As for the upright, he directeth his way. What's he direct his way to? The counsel of the Lord. He's eager to lead us. Doesn't it make sense to listen? Doesn't it make sense to listen? If that's what we're doing, how do we make decisions so fast? If we're listening for God to guide us to the next step, how do we make decisions? so fast this is something we should chew on because a lot of times we think we're seeking God's direction when in reality we're not even considering God well I can't think of a Bible verse God to do it so let's do it that is not following God's direction 31 the horse is prepared against the day of battle. Verse 5 in the same chapter says something very similar, just um, 26 verses ahead of it. Same chapter. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but if everyone that is hasty, only to want. Very similar thoughts. The horse is prepared against the day of battle it is the same thing as the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Planning. That's planning using much faith. Would you not agree? Okay. The horse is preparing against the day of battle. He's planning. He's diligent. He's preparing for the battle that's coming. By the way, did you know that before World War II, the country of Romania had a bigger army than we did? True fact. People said, we're so powerful, we don't need an army. Planning using much faith in God's direction, that's very very important in planning what does God want how do I know that's what God wants do I care what God wants am I lying to myself planning using much faith in God's direction versus worry using little faith But safety is of the Lord. Safety is of the Lord. Combined with the last two verses, put them all three together. Put them all three together. A wicked man hardened his face. There is no wisdom or understanding against the Lord. Safety is of the Lord. Combined with the last two verses, acting without seeking guidance from Jesus. Step by step. Is unsafe. That's what I see. I don't know if you see that or not. Acting without seeking guidance from Jesus step by step is unsafe. This requires us to slow down. We have to slow down. We're in too big of a we want the problem to go away. And I'm I am the the prince of uh, this is what we got to do. We've got to do it now. I am the absolute master of it. Michelle will tell you, for whatever reason in my mind, I can see the answer. That's the answer. But if I will just stop myself and say, God, if that's not the answer, please show me. If I'll stop myself for three days, just stop myself. God, if that's not the answer, please show me. Almost always, almost always, he shows me something else. There was a situation this morning. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I was rolling around in my head all the way here. All the way here. And I'm thinking, what should I do about that? What should I do about that? What should I do about that? Five minutes before the service, God made it clear. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. He gave me a reason to leave it alone. And quite frankly, I'm glad he wanted me to leave it alone because it probably would have made a bigger mess than I tried I was trying to stop. Do we care what God wants? Or do we want the door so bad we'll crawl right over Tracy to get to it? As a Christian, we don't get to choose what we want. Where in the Bible does it say we get to choose what we want? Well, in the Constitution, it says the pursuit of happiness. Well, does the Constitution overrule the Bible? No. Of course not. Of course not. Forget the pursuit of happiness. What does God want? As Christians, we should be the best at. Doing this just because we practice so much. We are sinners. We're not going to succeed every time, but we should be really, really good at trying. We should be in the habit of trying. Someone asks a question, What should we do about this? In my mind, the automatic response is, Let's give God some time to tell us. That should be our automatic response. But so often, that's not what we do because we want the door. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Why is that good name so important? There was a time when men cherished the value of their name. Nowadays, not so much. In fact, nowadays, they don't care if they got a good name or not why is a good name rather be chosen than great riches if the poor lady down the street gets into trouble but she's a poor lady people know she's down there and, and you know, she, she's, she's always been good to me she gets into trouble she can count on all the resources of all of her friends can she not that suddenly makes her rich does it not Well, what if all her friends don't have enough to bail her out? Then God has to provide what she needs. I think that God will provide them with what she needs, period. I think that's the way the church is designed to be set up. We have the resources of everyone because we have a good name. If the rich guy down the street gets into trouble, and we hear about this about once a week with rich people, a lot of times out of California, a lot of times out of New York, I could name some names, but I don't want to go that deep into it. But you know what I'm talking about. If the rich guy down the street gets into trouble, no one wants to help. Why? He never helped me. Never did anything for me. At that moment, the rich guy who's in trouble has less than the poor widow lady that has the resources of all her friends. Does she not? It's simple math. Who has more? The rich guy is no longer rich, he's in trouble. The poor lady with the good name, she's got more. My former pastor was talking to someone who showed up wanting money. I've shared with you this several times, but I wanted to actually print it so that you could see it. Okay? Someone showed up wanting money. Churches go through this on a regular basis. It is never, ever, ever pleasant. Never. He asked where they went to church. As soon as he asked that question, in my mind I'm thinking, well obviously they don't go anywhere else, they be at, at church. But he asked them where do they go to church and waited for them to answer. They said nowhere. Which he knew that before he asked the question. He said people with church homes don't have these problems. People with church homes don't have these problems. Why? We take care of each other. We take care of each other. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. What does it take to have a good name? Do I have a good name? How do I find out if I have a good name? This one's easy, by the way. How do I find out if I have a good name? Do people want to help me? Are people interested in what I'm doing? Do people listen? Or do people just kind of blow me off? You can tell when someone's being nice because they're supposed to be nice versus someone who's genuinely interested. This is so easy to tell. By the way, this is why race relations in this country will never, ever, ever be okay because... Both races know what's really going on in the mind of the other one. We're just being polite to each other. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We can tell if we have a good name. What if we have already lost our good name? What if if we have already lost our good name? What if we find out, you know what? People don't care about me. People are not interested in listening to me. People are not wanting to be around me. They're just being polite. What if we find out we've already lost our good name? Ask Moses. Moses lost his good name. Moses was raised up as the son, the grandson of Pharaoh. He had a good name as a rich guy. Apparently, it was kind of noticeable that he was not an Egyptian. He had different blood, probably different skin as well. He goes out and, with one single event, destroys his good name. Just one. It has to leave for 40 years. He comes back because God won't let him not come back. He says, God, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. Sometimes we've got to do what God says even if we think they won't listen because of our name. Ask David. People love David. But it's because we see David in the Psalms we see David as a teenager killing Goliath we don't see David as a grown up sitting around not giving justice to the whole nation ask Peter Cornelius sends word to Peter they want to hear words of you Peter says I've said enough I've really said enough send somebody else ask Paul Paul's main obstacle was his good name he was famous for opposing Christianity and then one day Jesus showed up to him all at once that changed everything about Paul the problem is is no one else knew it happened so he's got to convince them no longer am I your sworn enemy now I'm your best friend How long do you think it took for Paul to overcome that bad name? But it can be done. Ask the guy sleeping with his stepmom. Who is that? 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Thank you. There was a man in that church that everyone knew he was sleeping with his stepmother. Everyone knew it. They were proud of it. Why? Because the blood of Jesus cleanses all sin. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, why in the world would you let him even be there? You know what they did? They put him out. Put him out. They said, we're not going to have this in our church. Do you think everyone knew him? Everyone knew him. 2 Corinthians comes along. Paul says... um, You need to let him back in. He has repented. Why would Paul have to say that? Because he had lost his good name. What do we do if we lost our good name? Begin where we always begin. Lord, what do you want me to be doing right now? In all likelihood, it's not going to be huge because people won't follow you. In all likelihood, it may be nothing. Like Moses had to sit down for 40 years. Whatever it is that God directs us to do, do it. Just do it. At some point, at some point, someone will notice. But they'll be watching the rest of your life for you to do it again. Guaranteed. They'll be watching for the rest of your life for you to do it again. Does that mean we sit down and say nothing? What about Cornelius? I love Cornelius because of who God told him to call. He could have called any one of the other ten, any one of them. Call Peter. Call Peter. I like that. Verse 2. The rich and the poor. The greatest divide among people, by the way, is between the rich and the poor. It's not racialist between the rich and the poor. The rich hate the poor. The poor hate the rich. They can pretend they don't, but they don't want to be around each other. Simple as that. Look at any neighborhood in this whole country. You don't have mansions sitting next to shacks. It does not happen. The greatest divide among people is the rich and the poor. The rich and the poor meet together, or they have one thing in common. There's one thing they both have, and that's the fact that the Lord is the maker of them all. All of us come from the same place. All of us are going to answer to the same place. They all need Jesus. This is so, so very important. Use this when witnessing. Do not be intimidated by the powerful. My boss's boss wanted to do a ride-along with me. My boss's boss. Immediately I'm thinking, all right, they're trying to catch you doing something. He's watching me. We're in my truck, and I'm sitting there thinking, what's he watching for? But it occurred to me, this is my chance. This is my chance. I said... I know we're not supposed to talk about religion, but could I ask you a question? He said, sure. He's not intimidated by me at all. He, his, his employee is my boss. He's not afraid of me. He so said, sure, go ahead. What do you think happens after death? He started talking to me. Okay? I don't know any of what he knows. I mean, this guy is a college grad. He's run several businesses. He is way up here on intelligent level. But everyone needs... Jesus. Or I guess down and say eh, I've said enough. Father, thank you for your word. Please please show us the next step. Please put things in our way so that we can't take a wrong next step. But please, please, please make us care what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.